Good morning. I want to welcome uh, everybody this morning, new friends, old friends. Uh, it's good to gather uh, as a church family every week and especially uh, happy to be gathering with you today because today is the day that God has given us and we need to rejoice and just be grateful for these opportunities. The church is God's plan A for changing the world and there is no plan B. You have heard me say that before, but it's been a while and needs to be repeated time and time again. We've joked over the years that God, have, God could have chosen any way he wanted to to communicate the gospel to the world, but he chose to use us. As flawed as we are, as often as we fail to faithfully communicate his message to the world, he has chosen the church, the body of Christ, those who have placed their faith in him as the means, as the vehicle to communicate his message to the world. We have also said time and again over the, over the years that, that this is a true statement. The church doesn't have a mission. The mission has the church. The mission comes first. What is the mission? The mission is to go and make disciples. That is God's mission. And because that is his mission, he created, he made the church to engage in that mission. But the mission, make no mistake about it, always comes first. Again, it's more true to say that the mission has the church than to say the church has a mission. And so for the last 10 plus years, we have been trying to keep this truth in mind with everything that we do as a church family. As we land the plane on the teaching portion of our experiencing God journey, I wanted to remind us of these two truths this morning because this morning we're going to focus on us on this particular body of believers, this church that we simply call Zion, and more specifically, how we can experience God together as a church family, and more importantly, how I believe God is able to use us so that others can experience him in the community and in the world beyond us. Again, if you're a guest today, uh, Zion, this church family, we have been on, this is now week 10 of, a, of again, basically a three-month, almost a three-month journey through a classic Bible study written about 30 years ago called Experiencing God. And what that has looked like is, is we've been teaching and preaching messages based on this study. Uh, many folks in our church family have been reading uh, the book by the same title, and uh, many others have been going through a, an interactive Bible study, a workbook, uh, with a group of other people uh, to continue learning and thinking through uh, the content of the Experiencing God journey, the Experiencing God material. And so uh, individually, and I hope this is true, 
But individually, the experiencing God journey has been incredible for a lot of reasons. Let me give you some reasons that I was thinking about this week. Number one, it has, it has challenged, hopefully, us individually to think about and perhaps even rethink our, our approach to our walk with Jesus. We learn some things about his will. We learn some things about the crisis of belief. We, we learn that when God speaks to us that we've got to be the ones who make adjustments to join him in the work that he is doing around the world. And we've learned individually, hopefully, that God invites us, that he taps us on the shoulder when he wants to use us to make a difference in the world around us. And so it has helped us individually. It, it has given us some language. That's the second thing that, that I think has been important over the last several uh, months. It has given us some helpful language that I just used with you, right? I was just using the language of experiencing God to better articulate, hopefully, how God works in our lives. And then the third thing is, is for many of us, we've actually been able to work through the experiencing God uh, material with others in what we call at Zion discipleship groups, groups of uh, three, four, five, sometimes up to six, guys with guys, gals with gals, uh, going through the workbook, discussing the sermon, uh, going through and reading the book together. And so it's been incredible for a, a lot of reasons. But this morning, here is... Uh, our big thought for, for today, it, it, it's simply this, and if you're tracking the book, you know where we're going, it is this, is that people experience Jesus through his body. And when, and when I say his body, I'm talking about the church, the, the body of Christ, all right? People experience who Jesus is, what he's like, what he's all about through the body of Christ, his body. And again, let's just not brush over that statement. Let's, let's, let's let that statement sink in. And, and again, if we believe that that statement is true, and as followers of Jesus, I, I hope we're all convinced that it's true, that people experience him through us, then, then it should carry some weight, and it should have some pretty big implications for how we live our lives individually, but also how we function, how we do church corporately, if we indeed consider ourselves a part of the body. See, we know this, and this, this little bit of theology, a little bit of kind of foundational thoughts for this morning. We know this, that, that Jesus is the head of the church. That's not hopefully new information uh, for anybody. That's, that's pretty foundational if you've been following Jesus, been in church for a long time. That the head of the church is not a person. It, it's not a board. It, it's not a group or a collective of super spiritual people. The, the head of the church is Jesus himself. The Apostle Paul wrote these words to the church in Ephesus a couple of thousand years ago. He said this in Ephesians 1, verses 22 and 23. He said, And he, the Father, put all things under his, Jesus' feet, and gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which is his body. His church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so again, without spending a lot of time on those two verses, here are the implications of, of, of those verses. It means to me a couple of things. It means that Jesus is the source. 
He is the source of the body. He is the source of the church. You know, in the, in the medical world, they have, and, and amazingly so, and super grateful for the machines that they have been able to create that is able to keep our bodies uh, alive and active. You know, they have a machine that can keep a person's heart pumping, even if it's removed from the body. Hello, I'm grateful for that. That happened to me. Right? They were able to keep my heart pumping even though my, my heart was taken out of my body. They have machines that can keep our lungs working, that can, that can help aid our, our liver to continue to function. But here's what I know. They have not yet created a machine, and prayerfully they never do, but they have not been able to create a machine where it can actually remove the head from the body and keep the body going. Now, I don't want to live in that world if we ever get there, please just, Jesus, take me home, right? But there's something about that, right? If you remove the head from the body, the life is gone. It's just gone. Jesus is the source of life for his body, the church. And, and, and that should bring us great comfort, great confidence, but it should be a reminder that everything that we do needs to draw its strength, its source from the head, Jesus Christ himself. Those verses also teach me this, that Jesus has authority over the body, over the church. There are elders who serve as under-shepherds inside of the church. Some denominations have denominational leaders, but by, by, by no stretch of the imagination are we the head of his church. We're under-shepherds at best. Jesus has authority over the church. Now think about in our human body. My body does nothing that my head doesn't first say. That my, that my, body, or my, my body doesn't move until my head has said, move. Move your hands, move your arms, move your legs, right? Move your mouth, Right? My, it's my head. My head is, is instructing my body what to do. And, and in those cases, and, and, and this is just um, you know, a, a, a real uh, a statement, when you see somebody whose body is reacting without its head, we, we would call that, in, in, in many cases, they, they have um, Tourette syndrome, right? You've seen somebody who has Tourette syndrome, and often it's their body moves and acts in ways that aren't aligned with their, their head, with their mind, right? And, and when you see that, you, you see this is something that's a syndrome. Something's not right about that, okay? The same thing goes with the church, um, if you've been in church long enough, you've probably seen, um, and again, just understand the metaphor here, spiritual Tourette syndrome inside of a church where people are moving and acting and doing things that really aren't in line with the head, with the one who is supposed to have authority over the body. Jesus is the source of life. Jesus is the sole authority over his church, the body of Christ. We, we need to understand that as the foundation of everything that we unpack today. And, and, and here's, uh, you know, again, we're just kind of thinking about this. When we, when we look at somebody's physical body, it, it can provide for you 
some insight into who they are. If you've ever been to an amusement park and they've got, you know, those, those guys who are standing there and they've got the giant um, scale, right? And you ever, you know, go by and they're like, hey, let me guess your age. Let me guess your, you know, let me guess your, your, your weight. You know, let me guess your, your birthday, right? And you always do birthday because that's, you know, you always guess, guess that, right? But when you, when you, um, when you look at somebody, we can draw conclusions about them just by observing them, just by watching them. I can look at you and I can guess within some degree of certainty how old you are. I, I can get close. I can get in the ballpark, right? I might be able to look at you and kind of tell how, how much you weigh. I would never do that. But in my head, I can go, ah, I bet they go buck, buck 50. You know, I bet they go two and a quarter, whatever. I'd never say that, but I can think that. I can make that observation. But what I don't know by just looking at you is I don't know your life story. See, in order to know your life story, I've got to be close to you. I've got to be in proximity to you. I've got to be around you over an, experience, over an extended period of time to listen to you, to, to hear you talk, to hear you share. And, and again, why do I say that? Well, we can, we can say it this way. Limited knowledge about somebody is simply found by looking at them. Limited knowledge. Greater knowledge can be found about somebody by spending time with them. And here's the implications of that. When we think about the church, the body of Christ, it's God's design, God's design for people to get a glimpse of who Jesus is simply by looking at his body, by looking at the church, by watching and observing those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus living our life as followers of Jesus. It's God's design. He wants people to get a glimpse of who he is by simply looking at us. And, to take it a step further, it is his design for people to gain even greater insight into who Jesus is by having his body spend time as a body working together to spend time reaching those who are not yet part of the body. Us working together as a body to reach those who are not yet part of the body. The implications for us should be heavy on, heavy on us. If we want to be a church that, that people can get a glimpse of Christ through, we've got to think about who we are as a body, how we function as a body, what we do as a body. And here's what I can say about us. I think we care about those things. I think we want people to see Jesus through us individually, but I think we want Jesus to see, uh, see Christ through us corporately. So the question then has to be asked, how do we portray as a church a healthy portrait to the world of who Jesus is? Because that's going to determine to a great, extent, a great extent how people experience Jesus around us. So having said all that, I want you to grab your Bibles and open to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is a classic passage on body life, uh, the church body, the church as a body. And uh, we're going to unpack that. 
today. If you don't have a Bible, the verses will be up on the screen. If you need a Bible, please stop at our welcome desk on your way out, and we'll give you a copy of the Scriptures, because we want you to have a copy of God's Word uh, of your own. So here is what we're going to look at today from 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. A healthy body requires, demands, it must have two things to portray Christ to the world. It must have unity and diversity. Unity and diversity. We're going to look first at diversity. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm going to read verses uh, 14 through 20. Paul, in this chapter or in this section of the letter, is talking about spiritual gifts. This isn't a message on spiritual gifts, but we understand that when we became followers of Jesus, that that the Holy Spirit came to take up residence inside of us. And one of the things that God's Spirit does is he gives us gifts to be able to use to serve the body of Christ and to be able to engage in mission in the world. And so when he gets down to verse 14, he goes into this analogy of the body. And listen to what he says. Follow along as it's on the screen. Paul writing to this church in, in, the, in the city of Corinth. He says, for the body, here's this metaphor that he's using, for the body does not consist of one member, but of, mem- but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, listen to this, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Again, there are some things that we need to notice here. And the first thing that we notice is the uniqueness that Paul talks about here. The uniqueness of the body of Christ. We are not the same, spiritually speaking, but we are also not the same personality speaking. We're not the same uh, experience speaking. We're not the same when it comes to passions. We are all different, and we are all different inside of the body of Christ, ultimately by God's design. And in order for us as a church, as a church family, to benefit from this diversity, then that means that each and every one of us must accurately assess who we are, how we're wired, how we're designed, and what our role is inside of the body of Christ. And when we do that, there are a couple of, couple of rails that we need to kind of make sure we don't bump against. There are a couple of extremes that we need to avoid. We need to be on guard of thinking perhaps too highly of ourselves when it comes to what part we play in the body. 
But we also need to be on guard that we don't think too little of themselves. I've been around church life a long time, and sometimes it is possible for people to think too highly of themselves. And when they do that, they begin to think that everybody else inside of a church family ought to think and act and function the way that they do. And this really fleshes itself out when it comes to our spiritual passions, the things that we're passionate about. For example, I've been around people in churches that just love theology. They love to study it. They love to debate it. They love to talk about it and praise God for it. We need good Bible students. We need theologians who aren't in seminaries. They're just sitting inside of local churches, letting their passion to teach and letting their passion for theology to, to, to influence, impact their church. But, but what ends up happening oftentimes, if that person thinks too highly of that passion, they begin to think that anybody who doesn't carry the same passion for theology that they have just isn't deep. They're not serious students of the word. Likewise, people who are bent toward mercy, they have the gift of mercy and all they want to do is they want to, they want to feed the poor and they want to clothe the naked and they want to visit the, the prisoners in jail. And that's great and churches need people who are passionate for mercy and love mercy ministries. But that person, if they're not careful, they'll think, well, how come everybody isn't doing this? Why doesn't everybody enjoy doing this part of ministry like I do. They're, they're just not as loving as I am. They're just not as compassionate as I am because they're not as merciful as I am. Same thing can happen with evangelism. You know, there are people who just are bent towards sharing the gospel. Man, they've never met a stranger that they weren't willing to, to talk to them about Jesus. Like it's just normal and very natural for them and easy for them to bring up spiritual matters. And that's great. And we need more of that. And we all are called to share the gospel, but for some, it's just their bent. It's how they're wired, right? And, and sometimes that individual might say, well, because other people aren't as bold or aren't as vocal, then they really don't care for the lost as much as I do. Do you, do you see what I mean? That, that if we think too much about who we are in the body and how God has gifted us, that's a bad thing. On the flip side, though, and I think this is probably a greater problem inside of this church family as I watch and observe who we are, if we think too little of ourselves, if we think too little of who we are and how God has shaped us and wired us and gifted us, then we are tempted to think that our contribution is insignificant. This person may not even decide to play their part inside of the body because they believe that their part is of very little value. In verse 15, it's like the foot saying, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body. And, and let, me just, let me just say this, that that's not true. The, the reality, again, is found in verse 18 where it says that, that God has arranged the members of the body as he has chosen. And this should do a couple things for all of us. This should bring a sense of humility to us and a sense of significance. Humility. Why? Because it's God who arranged and gifted us. He's wired you the way you're wired for a reason. But make no mistake about it, he did it. 
And it should also give you some significance because he has done it. Because he has given you passions and gifts and callings and strengths so that the body of Christ, specifically this body, can function the way it should as each one of us do our parts. Zion, if this is your home, and hopefully more and more of you are calling Zion, not just the church you attend, right? And in some of you, that's kind of where you're at. You would say, yeah, Zion is the church that I go to. But our prayer is that you would all, that we would all get to the point where we, we move from Zion is the church that I attend to Zion is my church. It's the church that I belong to. And I'm not even talking about uh, becoming an official member. That's, that's a part of it, right? But just getting to that place where you go, this is my place. This is my home. This is where I'm putting my roots down as a follower of Jesus. But if you believe that Zion is your church home, you have a part to play. And the truth of the matter is, as God continues to take us places as a church family, we need you more than ever. We need you to play your part, to understand that you have a a part of this body if we're going to be who God has made us to be. Whether you're a hand or a knee or a foot or an elbow or an ear or a nose or whatever, we all have a part to play. That's why we talk about ministry teams. That's why we talk about getting involved. That's why we talk about using your gifts because on Sunday mornings, there are people who just need a break. They need supported. They need help. They need engagement from this body because, again, part of the giftedness that God gives us is so that we can minister to, with, through, and for one another. And if you have no clue where to begin, that's where we've been encouraging you over the last, uh, last little bit to consider going online and taking a shape test by visiting freeshapetest.com. And what does shape mean? It's an acronym for your spiritual gifts, your heart, your abilities, your passions, and your experiences. And this is just an online survey that I love to work with people through, where if you go through and you take this assessment, it'll spit out some results, put my email address in uh, at the end, and I'll get a copy of it, you'll get a copy of it, and we can sit down and we can look at it together and go, look, You're good at this. You're good at this. You're passionate about this. You've had experience here. Why don't we begin to move you in this direction as you function as part of this body of believers simply with the name Zion Church? Nothing magical about that name. It's just 200 years ago, somebody called this church, not even Zion Church, but it was Independent Reedsburg Zion Baptist Church. So at least we've shortened it, right? There's nothing significant about a name right? The, the body, though, requires diversity. And again, I am so thankful for so many of you who use your gifts, who use your passions, who, who take uh, your abilities, and you engage in making this body what it is. But my challenge as a pastor and as a leader is, is to continue to challenge more and more of you to do the same, to lean in to what God is doing here. The body is better when its diversity is functioning, right? When everybody's doing their parts. But a healthy body also requires something other than than diversity. It requires unity. You're still in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to continue to read. And we're going to read verses 21 through 25. 
listen to what Paul goes on to say, and he kind of shifts gears here a little bit. He says in verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, that doesn't not that important, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But listen to this. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. See, a healthy body requires unity. And he talks about these different parts. Listen, we, we may think that our biceps are more important, right? But if you've got a bad elbow, you're not going to be able to work your biceps, Right? Your funny bone, right? It looks like it's not that important. The biceps are where it's at, right? But if you've got a bad elbow, you're not going to be able to work your biceps. So the, the, what seems to be unimportant is important. And so the bicep needs to understand that if my elbow's not feeling good, then, my bi- then the bicep is in trouble because it's not going to stay strong. It all works together. The parts that are super noticeable and the parts that aren't. Listen, you like to run? Great, Awesome. Break your middle toe and go for a run. You're going to feel that. It's, it's just my middle toe. It's, it's not that important. Yeah, but if you break it, then it's going to affect your running, right? Like, we understand, like, I don't need to, I, I, do I need to convince you of that? Like, when we look at our bodies, the, the, there are parts of our body that don't look that important. But if they're not functioning right, it affects your whole body. Right? The same thing it is in the church. And, and again, Paul says, look, we have to make sure that those parts that don't seem to be that important, we consider them to be important because they are. And those parts that, that maybe appear to be more important, take the time to recognize like, hey, I'm just part of something bigger. And again, that, that fleshes itself out, this, this sense of unity fleshes itself out. And some of the observations that I made is looking at this passage this week is this, uh, in, inside of a unified church, we, are, we see ourselves not as independent, but as interdependent. We're not a bicep or two. We're not a foot or two. We're all connected together. Though we each have unique gifts and callings and passions, Inside of a local body, we need each other. Turn to the person next to you and say, I need you. And it shouldn't be hard if it's your spouse. So turn to somebody else that's not your spouse and say, I need you. All right? Again, using the, the sports analogy. You know, there are, there are teams, and we could, you know, if you're a sports fan, you can think of, you know, teams in the past that were super talented, had a bunch of great individual talents on their team. Pick the sport, right? You put, putting together a talented group of individuals does not make a great team. 
A great team understands that they have a part to play within the greater whole. They are interdependent upon each other to be successful. So Zion, as we move forward as a unified church, we need to look around the room. We need to look inside of this body and, and recognize that we truly are interdependent, not independent from, but interdependent with and connected to one another. How, how do we know that that's happening? There's, a, there's interdependence that's happening. Well, in the unified church, another observation, and, and Paul said it, we share in one another's suffering. Do you see where he says, if one suffers, we all suffer? Inside of a unified church, when a person is suffering, we all feel the pain. When somebody rejoices, we all want to throw a party. How we care for each other is a huge sign of our unity. One of the greatest things that happened this summer during our sabbatical was when we, again, needed to because it all doesn't happen organically, but when we formed our care groups and we had folks reaching out intentionally, hey, how you doing? How you doing? How can we pray for you? Is there anything going on? Is there anything that you need? That intentionality wasn't forced. It was born out of a recognition that when one suffers, we all suffer. But sometimes we don't know each other's suffering unless we ask, hey, how are you doing? How are things going? How can I pray for you? And, and, and we want that to happen organically. We want it to happen naturally because we're in relationship with each other. But there's also nothing wrong with saying we want to create systems and structures to make sure that care happens. And as elders, that's something that we continue to wrestle with, the best ways to ensure that people feel cared for so that we can share in one another's suffering. It's part of being a unified body of believers. There's one other thing here. In a unified church, we resist division at all costs. Again, if you look at the verse, verse, uh, verse 25, Paul says that there be no division in the body. Unity is not just a good practice, but it aligns with God's vision and his design for the church. God's put the body together and unity amongst us is part of his plan. It's not just a human preference, but it's a reflection of God's purpose for his people. If we're gonna function the way that he wants us to function, and let me just pause right here. I, I have been in Zion now for 25 plus years, and we've had seasons where we've we have been, I believe, unified and pulling in the same direction. And those of you that have been around and know our story, we had a season where that wasn't the case, right? And, uh, and, and when I look at it and think of the body right now, I, 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 I can praise God and, and affirm you all as a, as a church family. I feel like there's great unity here right now. I, I feel like people are, again, when I say pulling in the same direction, I, I, I just mean like in that spiritual sense, like we all get what we're trying to accomplish Remember what I said at the beginning? The church is God's plan A for reaching the world and we're, there is no plan B. We're a church that wants to be a part of plan A because there is no plan B. When I said it's more true that the church, that the mission has a church than the church has a mission, I think we're, we are a church that's trying to live out the mission to go and make disciples. We're not doing it perfectly, but we're learning more and more what it means to be that kind of church family. 
I'm thankful for the unity that I sense and feel in this church family in this season. And, and we pray that it would just continue for years and years and years to come. Because I love what the psalmist said in Psalm 133. We can put this up on the screen. Do we have Psalm 133? Yeah. The psalmist wrote this. He said, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Verse 2. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. Verse 3. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. Again, some Old Testament references. But then look at what the psalmist says next. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing life forevermore. And we have to be careful how we read the Psalms and what we take and claim as ours from the Psalms. But the psalmist, when he was writing this song, he was making an observation. And his observation about God is one of the ways that God works is when he sees people that are unified, man, he has this tendency to bless that. He, he has a history. He has a track record of blessing unity when he sees it. And, and so, I, again, Zion, are you interested in God's blessing on us as a body? Uh, and, and I hope we all would agree, yes. Then, then unity, I believe, is a key. You know, over the years, our unity, and this is going a little bit historical now. Over the years, unity has expressed itself in, in a variety of things that Zion has been, been known for. Some of you are old enough to know that Zion at one time was known as the church that did the tent meetings. The good old-fashioned tent meetings. And that was something that for a number of years unified us, that kept us together. We looked forward to it as a church year after year after year. People gave and sacrificed and, and committed to that event uh, that, that impacted lots of lives. After that, there was a season that we were the church that did the big passion play. And that passion play took you know, about six months to, to, to work on and produce. And it took a couple of hundred people to, to commit to practices and rehearsals and set designs and costume making. And for several years, about five years, that was something that unified us. And then we began to focus on children's ministry. And we did you know, a family event that unified us for a number of years. And that was exciting. And then we took the leap into multi-site, and that was something that, 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 that unified us, that ultimately was part of, I think, that which we don't speak of anymore as a church. Um, but then we shifted to a missional engagement, and we began to, to ask the question, instead of what can we do to be the best church in our community, we started saying, what can we do to be the best church for our community? And that question brought unity, because now we could pull together in the direction of moving out toward our community, going to people instead of just inviting people to come to us. That missional engagement unified us, right? It's what led us to, to, to care about foster care and adoption. It's what led us, I believe, ultimately to, to celebrating what Angela was in the middle of starting and launching uh, right now with Love, Inc., it was that desire to, to engage in our community that brought unity to us. Disciple making, starting in 2016, when we really committed to being a church that created a culture for disciple making, unified us, right? So we've had seasons where what unified us, what, what brought alignment to our hearts has been different, but, but that unity has served us well as a church over the years. And, and I don't know, the next things that God's going to place on our shoulders, what he's going to tap us on the shoulder and say, this is what I want Zion to engage in. This is what I want you to do. I don't know all of the what's next for us as a church. All right? So I'm not about ready to just drop some huge vision on you. I don't know what's next. 
But I want to ask and answer a question. What will keep us unified in the rest of our time? What will keep us unified? And the answer is very simple. Healthy members who experience God together. Together. Corporate unity will be experienced best when individuals are healthy in their journey and recognize that their journey is never intended to be a journey alone. It's a journey with others. But, but it requires health. And it starts with us individually. You know, nobody stands in front of a mirror and says, you know, <laughs> I wish I were more out of shape. I, you know, I, I wish, man, I wish I had a little bit more flab. I, I wish this gut were a little bit bigger than it is. You know, if I could just, you know, if I could just go up another pant size, I'd love that. That would be great, right? I mean, if anything, it's the other way around. We, we desire health. At least I hope we do. We want a healthy heart. We want a strong back. We want good lungs. Why? Because the healthier the parts of our body are, the more we're able to do. And theoretically, the longer we ought to be able to live. Nobody wants disease or cancer or, or some physical trial. So we do things to become more healthy. Jesus is the same when it comes to his body. He longs for a healthy body, which means healthy parts, healthy members connected together. Members, I believe, who care about each other's health. And that's one of those things where when we talk about churches and, and accountability, that word accountability, man, it's one of those weird words um, we, we kind of shy away from because I'm independent, I will do my own thing. But a healthy church family keeps itself accountable, not because we want to stick it to each other, but because we care about each other. We love each other. We recognize that we're part of something bigger than just ourselves, and we want health for the body, which means health individually. Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but I want to read Ephesians 4 as we wind down. Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16. Listen to what Paul says. He's talking again to a church, and he's talking about um, what God has given to the church. He says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to the church. For what reason? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. And again, uh, without getting into it, my job as a shepherd, as a leader, is ultimately to equip you to do ministry. But then listen to what he says. For the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we begin to look more and more like Christ. Why? So that we be no longer children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, uh, by craftiness and deceitful, deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, make the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There is a ton in there. I'd love to preach a whole message on this, but I won't. 
but a few phrases stand out to me. This idea of being built up, that, that God wants us to be built up, strengthened, like a, like a building or, or like our bodies, as we've been saying. So why? So that it can stand and so that it can do what it's asked to do with the goal being maturity. He talks about that we would become mature. He's referring her to this optimal age of the human body for physical health. A mature adult, Christ wants us built up to optimal health. I was thinking about this this week, you know, how many of you would like to have your infant body back? Anybody? Some of you say, I'd like to have my 20-something body back. I'm not talking about your 20-something body. I'm talking about your infant body back. I mean, take your, your brain, right, as it is, but just stick it in your infant body. You, you can't talk or move. You need to be dressed and changed and cleaned. You can't move. Everybody has to come help you do everything. Jesus want, does not want us like that. He does not want us to be like kids, like infants who are tossed around, unable to stand, unable to work. With an infant, you have to be careful because its body can't support itself. You gotta give an infant extra time and support because the body just doesn't know how to hold itself up. The truth of the matter, it's kind of sad when you think that there are churches and individuals inside of churches that are not able to, to do what Christ wants them to do because they won't grow up. They're like infants, immature, not able to stand and withstand anything that God asks them to do. He doesn't want us to be infantile. He wants us to grow up. You know, for your muscles, we know this, to get stronger, they've got to be forced. They've got to be stressed. You can't just sit there and become bigger, stronger, or faster. Your muscles have to be stressed and strained. You've got to stretch in order to grow. And Zion, I think this is one of the things that EG experiencing God has hopefully done in your life. It has stretched you. It has pushed you. Your spiritual muscles have been exercised to the extent that you've leaned in to the sermons and the workbook and the book and you've thought and talked and discussed. You are stronger, hopefully, today than you were at the beginning of September. And that's a great thing. But here's my challenge for us moving forward. People talk about maintaining my health. Hey, once I get to a certain weight, once I get to a certain level, I'm just going to maintain my health. You know, in the physical world, you might be able to do that. Just maintain over a period of time, right? But spiritually speaking, there is no such thing as maintaining. That kind of language, that kind of metaphor, you won't see in the scriptures, Either you are growing, you are being changed into the likeness of Christ one degree at a time, right? You're becoming more and more like him, or you're moving backwards. You're taking steps backwards. We don't just maintain. We might have seasons where we plateau, but spiritually speaking, man, we, we, we don't see that. Just like, I'm just going to go in maintenance mode, spiritually speaking. God is always going to push us, strengthen us. And when a hospital patient spends extended time in bed, they become weak. Their muscles atrophy, atrophy, their bones weaken. 
and the body reverts to this kind of infantile state. It's a conscious effort to strengthen our bodies. And as a church family, as a church body, it takes a conscious effort to continue getting stronger. And it takes every part to do it. You know, if I want to move this 15-pound weight around, I've got to engage. Again, stick with the metaphor. It breaks down at some level. But I don't just engage my pinky, right? I can't just engage my eyes, right? Move. I don't stick my ear on it. This doesn't do any good, right? But, but, but I've got to, my whole body has to be involved, right? right? My, I use my body to move the weight. The body is engaged. The body is involved, right? Again, super simple. I know the illustration breaks down, but stick with me. Listen, Zion, I don't know what our next weight that God's going to put in front of us and say, move this, lift this, carry this, do this. But I can promise you there's still weight in front of us to carry for the glory of God. There's still things for us to do. And, and we'll be able to do that thing that God asks us to do to the extent that every one of us does our part. Verse 16. Ephesians 4, again, as each part is working properly, it makes the body grow up. It makes the body grow up. When you have a part of your body that doesn't want to function or can't function, it affects the whole body. Zion, we need everyone to be healthy because Christ desires that. Why is this important? Why does it matter? Why is it important for the body of Christ to be healthy? Well, physically, we understand, right? Spiritually, I think the answer is this. So the body can experience God and do more for the glory of God. A physical body that is healthy and strong, again, can do more. But the same thing is true in the body of Christ. A healthy church is able to carry more weight for the glory of God, can engage in mission to greater depths and greater breadths and, 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 and greater heights because it's able to carry the weight. It's able to do it. And here's the thing. If we believe that God is sovereign, and he is, as he looks at churches, and he does, he knows the churches that are strong. He knows the churches that are healthy. He knows the ones that are filled with disease. And when he sees a church that is healthy, I believe. And, and again, I'm not God. Maybe God wouldn't say this, but I, I'd like to think that when God sees a healthy church, he's able to say, I want to give them something big to do because they can carry it. They can do it because everybody's doing their part. Everybody is getting healthy. They can carry the weight. That's my prayer for us going forward. I don't know everything that God has said to you individually during experiencing God, but I know going forward, I want us to be a church that collectively is listening to what God wants us to do as a church family. And I think that God will do, two, will do more and more in and through us as we do two things and the worship team can come. 
Number one, we must continue to look to the head because he is the source and he is the authority. That's why prayer is vital for us. That's why, again, we, we, we ask you to make prayer priority individually in your D groups, in your life groups. We invite everybody to come at 8.30, uh, from 8.30 to 9, and then from 9.30 to 10 uh, to pray on uh, just seeking God, seeking the head uh, of this church, Jesus, and his will for us. And not just look to him, but we have to continue to develop ourselves. So how are you contributing to the health of the body? Are you being who God created you to be? Are you developing and growing your spiritual muscles so that when we're playing our part as a whole, you can say, I know what part God wants me to play in this body. If you have any questions about that, if you're like, I know the answer to that, and I'm not, but I want to be, let's talk. Let's start with a shape test. Let's, talk, let's start with a cup of coffee. So some of you might say, it's time for me to join this church. It's time for me to, to lean in to ministry. Whatever it is, let, let the word of God and the spirit of God speak to you. Because I believe we can do more. And I believe we are ready to do more. Because I think we're getting more and more healthy as a church family. Amen? If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, this message was on purpose, intentionally, for Christians who call Zion home. So kind of if you were a guest, I'm glad you're here, but you kind of were hearing me talk to this church family. But now I want to talk to, to guests and those who maybe wouldn't consider themselves yet followers of Jesus. If, if you're not yet following Jesus, we believe that, 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 that he loves you, that he came, he lived, he died, he was buried, and he rose again uh, so that you could be restored to relationship with your heavenly father so that you can be forgiven of your sins so that your life begins to make sense and have purpose so that eternal life, life with God forever is, is yours. And if you've never made the decision to, to begin a relationship with Christ, that's the starting point. And we'd love to help you with that and love to have that conversation uh, about what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to, to be part of God's, uh, God's family. But for, for those of us who are part of the family, <clears throat> one of the things that Jesus wants us to do is to regularly remember what he did for us on the cross. And a couple of times a month, we'll slow down and, and do just that. And we're going to do that now uh, by, by, by taking communion together. And so when we sing this song, if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a guest and you say, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus, I know that I've put my faith in Jesus, we invite you to, to participate with us. But while we sing, we want you to take a minute just to reflect on the message, reflect on where you're at in your journey. And the scriptures talk about examining ourselves. And so we encourage you to do that. And if you have taken the time to reflect on your walk with Jesus, confessed any sins, uh, and you want to participate in this common union that we have as Christians uh, because of the blood of Christ, and we invite you to, to come and grab a, uh, one of the, the kind of prepackaged um, bread and cup. Take it back to your seat, and after we're done with this song, we'll participate in communion together. Father, we love you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for leading us. Thank you for encouraging us and challenging us along the way. We love you very much. It's your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and, and respond. Mm -hmm.